The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. He struck out as that goes down. That's eight strikeouts for Shane McClanahan. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco. To the left of the bag, he turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. This week in Rays Baseball starts right now. And welcome to our latest program, everybody. My name is Chris Adams-Wall. We're glad to have you with us. In this week's show, we'll sit down with our featured guest, Aaron Savali, and talk about his being traded to the Rays from the Cleveland Guardians, what it was like to face his former team on Friday, growing up and pitching against the Boston Red Sox as a college player, and his Instagram famous corgi, Stetson West. Race pitching coach Kyle Snyder will join the show to discuss the injuries to Tampa Bay's pitching staff and how the 2023 Rays team compares to Snyder's former World Series winning squad, the 2007 Boston Red Sox. Then we'll hear from Rays special assistant and Bally Sports TV analyst Denard Spann about Tampa Bay's current homestand and a look back at Spann's football career. Finally, we'll take a trip to the minors and talk with the manager of the Charleston River Dogs, Sean Smedley, about the Rays' low-A affiliate and their 2023 campaign. And we continue on this week in Rays baseball with our featured guest, Aaron Savali. Aaron, I know you just got here, but thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. So you faced your former team, the Cleveland Guardians, on Friday night. What a game that was, a really weird one. But I thought your line was pretty good. First of all, how are you feeling so far? You have two starts under your belt as a Tampa Bay Ray. Yeah, definitely more comfortable as the days are going on. Um, getting to know the guys, getting to know the way things are done around here. Hasn't really been too much of an adjustment, which is great. I think a lot of the mindset and the way things are done here is very similar to what I'm used to, so it's been super awesome. And anything that isn't, they've been very accommodating. Was it weird at all to face your former teammates, though? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, some of those guys have been around for a long time. Some of them I hadn't played with before, and they're new to that team as of late. But uh, I, I wore that jersey for a long time and was with that organization for uh, just over eight years. So anytime you're associated with something for that long, you build relationships, you everything that's involved. Um, but once I was out there, I was able to kind of compartmentalize and get into compete mode and just go from there. For a pitcher, is it strange because you, you are so familiar with those guys and so you're thinking, well, he's probably going to think that I'm going to throw a curveball here, so maybe I should go fastball. Like, what was that like? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it helps that I have as many pitches as I do because I can kind of change up. I, I, don't, I don't always have to be the same pitcher. The tendencies are pretty spread out. Um, I can go to a pitch to certain guys that might not normally do and then see how they're reacting to that type of thing. But I think it is weird as a pitcher. There's no interaction. There's no downtime during the game. Uh, it was the first day they were here, so I didn't really get to talk to anybody at all. If you're a position player, you might be able to catch up with someone on the base paths or in the batter's box, whatever it is, while you're on defense. But pitching, it's you're out there on the mound, you're isolated. I catch up with them the day after the start. Uh, just say what's up to all of them, but... Yeah, it's, it's a strange feeling, for sure. <laughs> you did say that you spent eight years in the Cleveland Guardians organization. I think every single one of their minor league affiliates except one is in the state of Ohio as well. So 
How did you like the Buckeyes State for eight years, or close to eight years? Yeah, uh, Northeast Ohio and Columbus, every, everything was great. The people there are awesome, the fans there are awesome, nothing but fond memories of my time there. Uh, some great cities and a lot of good memories. And then Terry Francona becomes your manager when you make it to the big leagues. He's the longest tenured skipper in Major League Baseball and obviously very good friends with Kevin Cash, your new manager. What was it like playing under Tito? Yeah, I grew up a Red Sox fan, so took those those teams to the World Series and to a place where the Red Sox hadn't been in a long time, uh, and he, he led those teams, so it was really cool to to have him be the manager. Um, I had heard nothing but great things going into it, and I have nothing but great memories now. Um, we had a great relationship, and I expect that cont- to continue. And you can tell what him and Cash have uh, has affected Cash in a great way. He leads his team very well. There's definitely some Tito tendencies in there, and it's all it's all great things. Um, just really has a good pulse and trust with the team and understanding of what's going on and knows when to push the guys, knows when to not. And I'm excited to continue to learn and see how he leads. And it's been, it's been great so far. Having grown up a Red Sox fan, did you kind of have to pinch yourself when you realized, oh my gosh, the guy who took the Red Sox to two World Series is now my manager? Yeah, uh, I think there's a little bit of a wow factor at first. Uh, but as soon as you get in the room with him and you start having a conversation with him, you realize he's there because he cares about all those guys in the room. And I was one of those guys in the room. And we just developed a good relationship early on and continued that relationship. And I think it'll continue for a long time. Let's go back to the trade because that happened not even two weeks ago. Not even two weeks ago, you were a Cleveland Guardian, the team that is currently playing the Rays here at Tropicana Field. How did this all go down, and did you expect to be traded at all this year? I think anytime you're in a in a in that type of org, they, they handle things differently. I think it's similar to the way Tampa handles things. It's the way a lot of uh, mid-lower market teams handle things. Uh, it's the way of the game. It's how those front offices operate things. Um, with that being said, I can't say I was expecting anything to happen given where we were as a team and where we were in the standings and just with some of the the injuries that were happening uh, on the team, just where the rotation was. I don't think many people were expecting it, but at the end of the day, it's, it is what it is. All that stuff's totally out of my control. My job is to focus on what I do out in that dirt and what I do in between those those starts. I did that to the best of my ability, and now I'm in a place that I'm really excited to be in. Everyone here has been great. Everyone's happy to have me here and excited that I'm a member of this team, and I have mutual feelings about it. I'm glad to be here. It's great baseball that's been played. It's exciting. I'm excited to continue to get to know these guys better and compete with them. Where were you when you found out, though, and how did you find out that you had been dealt to the Rays? Uh, I took the first bus to the field. It was the day after my start. We, I pitched in Chicago. We flew into Houston, where Tampa had just left, mm-hmm. and went. took the first bus. Pitching coach Carl Willis was waiting for me there and walked me into the office and sat down with Tito, and Chris Antonetti, president, was on the phone, and he informed me of what was happening. It was a lot to process and took those first few days of process. But fortunately, I was at the field. They didn't tell me to kick rocks and get out of there. <laughs> they let me say my goodbyes and take as much time as I needed to 
say say goodbye to the guys that uh, I spent so much time with, forming bonds with. It's not always the case. Sometimes you just get a phone call and they tell you pack up your things. We'll send your baseball stuff to wherever you're going. Um, and then Tampa's fortunate enough to let me go back to Cleveland to pack up some things in my apartment and grab a few more clothes <laughs> and say goodbye to some of the staff and players that were back there doing their rehab, um, which a lot of those guys that aren't active right now, those are the guys that I've been playing with for a long time. Shane, Cal, Tristan got drafted with Shane, and Tristan was there when I got drafted. So Cal's been in Cleveland since 2020, but there's there's a lot of guys that – I could, I could name endless guys, Naylor yeah. or Jose or Quan or all those guys. There's a lot of great people over there, and I think something that helped me get through it, a lot of people who had been through, a lot of players who have been through this in the past let me know. It's like, hey, you're not losing a family, you're just gaining some new members. And I think that approach to it definitely put me at peace. For, uh, it helped, helped ease the, the process a little bit, so... I know those relationships will continue. It's not going to be daily as it was, but they'll definitely continue, and every time we play them, it'll be good to see them. But it sounds like it was still kind of a shock to the system because you're thinking, all right, I'm a New England guy, been in Ohio forever, and now I'm going to Florida? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough. Uh, anytime, I mean, you, you pretty much have a couple days' notice to get everything together that you had settled and didn't necessarily expect to be changing and move it all across the country i think anytime regardless if you're a baseball player or another sport or another job in general anytime you have to take all your things and move somewhere else there's a little bit of an adjustment period there's a little processing time going on Um, but like i said i let myself process everything for those first few days i tried to let myself feel everything in order to move forward and accept what was happening um I'm glad I did that because it let my mind be in a place where I was ready to accept what was happening and excited to be here. And I wasn't thinking about what I was leaving behind per se. I was more at the point where I was ready to meet all these new guys and jump right in. Let's talk about your walk-up song. Because you do have a tie to the Tampa Bay Rays in a way because you're a big Evan Longoria fan. You and your brother really liked him growing up. Your walkout song or walk-up song or whatever you want to call it is Down and Out by Tantric. Talk to us about that. Why the love for Evan Longoria? I mean, we know why. I mean, Rays fans love him. Sure. But what was it about him for you specifically? And uh, obviously he made that song popular. No, Longoria had that here, so I definitely asked around <laughs> before giving it the go-ahead. But, yeah, he's a player that just growing up as Red Sox fans, we saw him play Tampa quite a bit. My brother was a position player. He's three, a little over three years older than me. It was someone that he looked up to. It was a player that played the game the right way, and every time we watched him, it was just something, something to admire. Um, that was one of the. It's a good. It's a good song. It's yeah. a good, uh, <laughs> good little entrance. Good energy involved in it, and that was his walk-up song. My brother's walk-up song when he played was one of his favorites, and I owe a lot of my success and love for baseball to my brother, so it's a little tribute to that. I personally like the song as well, but, yeah, just uh, to give a little story. <laughs> You're a New England guy. We've mentioned that. You're from East Windsor, Connecticut, which is in between Springfield, Mass., and Hartford, Connecticut. I'm from New England, too, so i got to know, first and foremost, how much do you love the New England area? It's a pretty special place, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's definitely a solid couple weeks in the fall where it's perfect. Yes. 
uh, can get cold. I spend my off season in Massachusetts still, so a lot of family up there. It is a unique place. There's all four seasons. It gets hot. It gets cold. It's great in the spring. It's great in the fall. There's great food everywhere. There's a lot of good people up there. Yeah, I think my wife is from New York, which is northeast, not necessarily New England, but we both just we love being up there. It's it's a lot of good people. There's a lot of good history. There's a lot of a lot of good good vibes up there. And we went to rival high schools. I think I told you this right after you came over in the trade. I went to Exeter. You went to Loomis Chafee. We played each other in, in football. Not you and I personally, but the schools. I'm obviously a, a bit older than you. But what was that like going to a prep school like Loomis Chafee, which is, I don't have to tell you, it's a very selective school up there. Sure. Yeah, like I said, my brother was there before me. He tested well enough to get in there. I'm not necessarily the best test taker. I definitely did well in school, but uh-huh. those types of tests, the standardized testing, wasn't always my strong suit. Fortunately, he was there and set a good example. My mom works in the public school system, and she was seeking a better opportunity for both my brother and I. And it was a 15-minute drive away, and they made a lot of sacrifices to get us there. And forever thankful for the opportunity. I love my time there had classmates from all over Connecticut and all over the world. I took Chinese there. I only studied it for three years. I don't remember much of it, (laughs) but I had classmates from Vietnam. I had classmates from South Korea. It It was a really cool experience to be exposed to all of that early on and meet a bunch of different people early on. Um, Nick just prepared me for new groups of people. Went from new group in high school, new group in college, and so on in pro ball. So just a lot of good memories from that and a lot of great experiences. Then you ended up at Northeastern in, in Boston, Northeastern University, so you were a Husky. And I read that you got to pitch against the Boston Red Sox at one point during spring training at JetBlue Park. What do you remember about that experience and your time at Northeastern? Um, yeah, I, I honestly, it was one of the many reasons why I wanted to go to Northeastern. It's something that Northeastern and Boston College does every year couple days or a day before the first actual spring training game uh, the Red Sox play those two colleges in an exhibition game. I remember watching those games on Nesson when I was a kid. Yeah the game I pitched wasn't on TV unfortunately (laughs) it actually did go pretty well. I remember the day before I was ready to pitch in the game that we played as part of our regular season down in Florida on our spring trip. We ended up scoring a bunch of runs I ended up not pitching I was a reliever at that point. And we had a team dinner that night, and head coach Mike Glavin came up to me and was like, hey, you want to start tomorrow? I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah. I, like, I always I'll wanted to be Sox. a starter. Yeah. I, let's do it. <laughs> Went out there. Um, the nerves were probably more than, than the only, I think the only comparable nerves are probably my debut to mm-hmm. that. Um, my first experience pitching against elite-level baseball players. Um, and I'm sure it was just a warm-up pre-exhibition spring training game for them, but it was, it was, that was my World Series at the time. Um, I started against Clay Buckholtz, and Rick Porcello pitched wow. the second inning, and the lineup was, I'm pretty sure it was Mookie Betts, Pedroia, David Ortiz, um, Hanley Ramirez, Mike Napoli, uh, Pablo Sandoval was there. Xander Bogarts was there. It was their full starting lineup. This was 2015. Yeah, obviously won the World Series the following year. 
Yeah, it was a it was a crazy experience. It's something that I'll remember forever. Pitched the first inning, it went well. Coach asked me if I want to go back out. I said, yeah. Second inning went well. He asked me if I want to go back out, and I said, no, I'm good. I think I think that's good enough for today. Just enjoy the rest of today. Did you strike any of those guys out? <laughs> yeah, I had a had a good day. Who did you strike out? Um, I struck out David Ortiz, oh. Hanley, Napoli, and Bogarts. All right, so after that performance, I mean, was that when the light went off and you thought, you know what, I think I might be able to do this professionally? Um, I think what I realized was when I get a little uh, a little angry out on the mound, it serves me well. I ended up, I walked Pedroia on a full count, and it got me a little, a little pissed off, um, and that kind of locked me in. So I think I realized at that point how to channel that type of thing and how to take that emotion and turn it into a positive um i, I can't say it didn't it didn't help my confidence it definitely did um but yeah it was just at the end of the day it was a memory that i'll have for the rest of my life regardless of what happened from that point on it was an awesome experience and it's something that I'll always have. So you were a Northeastern Husky, and this will be the final question. Speaking of Huskies, we have to ask you about Stetson West. Let me make sure I have this right. Your Pembroke Welsh Corgi. It's called The Adventures of Stetson West. It's on Instagram, Steadygram, Red Male with a, tw- with a Tail. Red Male with a Tail, Stetson West. What can you tell us about him? Uh, he's great. Um, he's just over three years old now. I got him in COVID year. Um, we always, my wife and I just always wanted a Corgi since we both first saw one um they're just a little the little dog with a big personality um a lot of corgis have their tails docked we wanted to go in that kept his tail there's so much personality and expression mm-hmm. through through tails on dogs it's really a shame that most of them get them docked but the name came from the dorm that both me and my wife lived in when we were at northeastern stetson west was the name of the dorm uh happens to be a good dog name yeah. call him steady uh, amongst many other names, but he's he's great. He's a big personality. He's never never backs down from any challenge, um, whether it's barking at a random animal flying by or running by or charging at an eighteen wheeler that's driving by. He thinks he's can take on the world, and he's a he's a lot of good energy. Well, we appreciate the time you you've provided us with a lot of good energy today, Aaron Savali. Best of luck the rest of the. And we'll go to our first break, but when we come back, we'll hear from Rays pitching coach Kyle Snyder about the injuries to the Tampa Bay pitching staff. Plus, we'll check in with Rays special assistant and Bally Sports TV analyst Denard Spann about the Rays' current homestand and a look back at the former Tampa Bay outfielder's high school football career. And we'll wrap it all up with the manager of the Charleston River Dogs, Sean Smedley, about the Rays' low-A affiliate and its 2023 season. That's all coming up next on the Rays Baseball Network. And we continue on this week in Rays baseball with Rays pitching coach Kyle Snyder. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks. So the Rays got through that tumultuous month of July, and they're now in the month of August. Things are looking up after that nine-game road trip. How do you feel the season has gone, though, so far? Well, I, I think we've been pretty resilient. Obviously, we got out to a, a pretty good start. Um, you know, we've had to deal with some some injuries on the kind of the starting pitching front um, you know but fortunately you know the rest of the teams have really been intact you know from a physical sense and 
you know, our offense uh, performing extraordinarily well out the gate and, and obviously picking things up here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but to be in the position that we're in right now, I think every single one of us, if, if we were told that we'd be in this position at the last day of spring training, we would certainly welcome that. And, uh, I think we're certainly primed to, to make a pretty strong push here over the next six, six, seven weeks. You touched on the relievers, but I think the bullpen was a big reason why the Rays got eight wins during the month of July. It felt like the bats just weren't there, but the arms really kept the Rays in most of those games throughout July. Is that how you felt about it? I would agree. Yeah, I think, you know, since the addition of, you know, Robert Stevenson and, and, and Jake Diekman and Armstrong being activated, I think, you know, the, the, the glue's kind of taken hold a little bit down there. You know, early on, it was a little tough for them to get into rhythm. We were separating games to the point that, you know, a lot of the relievers that had been accustomed to being down there, you know, weren't as used to, you know, and, and the days off, et cetera. And, uh, I certainly welcomed the first two weeks, but when we continued to uh, really separate games throughout the whole month, you know, it was tough for those guys to get into a rhythm. And then, you know, once the you know middle of May rolled around, I think they started getting their footing a little bit, but certainly those additions and... You know, um, obviously Kevin Kelly, the season that he's had, uh, and then certainly our, our, our single inning, you know, priority guys with Poche and Adam and, and Fairbanks doing what they've done. Um, you know, they've, they've certainly carried a pretty significant load. And let's talk about the injuries, which you also talked about at the beginning of this interview. Because of those injuries, thinking chiefly of Drew Rasmussen and Jeffrey Springs and now Shane McClanahan, has it been one of the more challenging years since you've become a coach in the race organization, if not the most challenging year? It's Yeah, it certainly has. I mean, we've, we've, def- we've been dealt, you know, uh, some tough blows over the years, but I think when you consider the front half of the game, how well these guys performed before the physical failures, you know, those things are... They're a little tougher to, I guess, take on and absorb, you know, this year than I think in other in years past. And uh, but fortunately, you know, I mean, the strength of our bullpen has come forward. You've had other guys step in, like you know, uh, Jack Littell, uh, who's done a tremendous job for us in, in a few spot starts, and um, now the addition, obviously, of Aaron Savali to kind of fortify things a little bit, and you know. Uh, yeah, it, it, it certainly has me retracing my steps quite a bit and managing these guys and trying to, to figure out, you know, how it is we get out in front of things that we recognize that we probably don't don't understand. Um, and maybe, you know, um, there's less uh, that we know than, than, you know, that we like to care, we care to admit. But, like, you know, it, it's still part of the process. And, you know, I, I try to learn as much as I can in terms of how to best manage these guys. And... Um, I think there'll be something to take away from it, but you know we still got to realize we got to show up each day and we got to compete and we got something to play for. And there's a lot of meaningful games out in front of us. How huge an acquisition is Aaron Savali at this point, though, with Shane McClanahan going down and Tyler Glass now having some problems with his back. He's expected to uh, to be healthy though uh, in sometime in the near future. How huge is the addition of, of Aaron Savali? He, uh, a tremendous addition. Um, you know, he's an elite commander of the baseball, um, has a very well thought out process and approach to what he does. Uh, the success he's had this year um, is, is kind of right out in front of you. Um, and it does help kind of solidify things given, 
you know, some of the tough blows we've been, um, you know, we've had to absorb a little bit in that rotation. So uh, looking forward to, to watching Aaron, you know, pitch here down the stretch and uh, give us a chance to play in October and uh, and get, looking forward to getting to know him as a person. You know, he's a, a very cerebral guy, and, you know, I think we'll have some uh, some pretty in- interesting conversations just kind of surrounding his overall approach and what he's learned and, and, and a lot of the pitchability that he brings to the table. I've talked about Zach Littell quite a bit on our pre- and post-game shows. It seems like the Rays have kind of struck gold with a guy like that. He came to the Rays and was kind of expected to fill a bulk role, I guess, and now you've built him up into being a starter who went five innings against Houston. That was a career high. Then he went six innings against Detroit. That's a new career high. We hear it all the time. Kyle Snyder does a great job building these guys up. What does that entail exactly, though? And how hard is it to do that for a guy who hasn't been a starter since really the minor leagues? It's it's definitely there's there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, right? I mean, it really just starts with the relationship, getting to know the person, getting to know what they're physically capable of, the transparency that comes with trust being built between two people. And, and just focusing on, you know, letting kind of one day take us to the next. When we approached him about it, uh, it was something that he was fully bought into uh, right out the gate. So that certainly helps hitting the ground running a bit. Um, there's a lot of things that we're able to trust nowadays in terms of the modern indicators that might suggest fatigue or, you know, things that might change, be it through brake values, velocity, trend lines. You know, and then after that, it's just the dialogue that he and I have and, and, and in making sure that we're trying to strike that balance of, of, of getting him conditioned to be in this new role, uh, but at the same time doing our best to handle him as responsibly as possible. But I'm sure you've been pleasantly surprised, to say the very least, about how he's done in that starter's role. Yeah, there's no question. If you look at the background and, and you look, I mean, the last time he started traditionally was in 2019, uh, but he's a very neutral guy. He can get right-handers and left-handers out. Um, you know, he doesn't beat himself. You know, he, you know the, the free passes just are, he's really stingy. Um, you know, and the contact that, you know, he does force, like he suppresses the hard contact about as well as anybody we have, you know. So when you factor a lot of that stuff in, it's not that surprising. Um, I guess it's just a matter of these guys taking to certain things that, you know, other uh, industry-wide maybe isn't quite as widely accepted or thought that can be done. You know, but it just it just takes a lot of work behind the scenes to be sure that you know what we're what we're trying to accomplish. That these guys are capable of handling and and then managing it from there. We have to talk about Zach Eflin. Sometimes you don't have any idea what you're going to get when you sign a big free agent to a sizable contract. Zach, of course, got the richest free agent contract in Tampa Bay Rays history. I think he's exceeded expectations, though. What about you? I think he's really been the most consistent starter the Rays have had this season. Yeah, I don't like my expectations. I try to, I somewhat temper, and I certainly don't manage theirs. But I couldn't be happier with what he's accomplished for us. Without him, we wouldn't be where we are right now. Um, that's an understatement. Um, but to watch him go about his business, uh, to compete every fifth or sixth day, to execute at the level that he's able to execute, you know, it's really been a lot of fun for not just myself, but I think this entire club to watch. Leaving aside what he's done in the clubhouse, the leadership that he's brought, you know, the leadership that him and Jake Diekman have bought both, brought both to the table, you know, I can't say enough about in terms of what that does, um, just to the overall environment, you know, and 
um, the confidence that the entire group has. Uh, but, yeah, Zach Eflin's been a tremendous acquisition. Uh, just another one in the long list of our front office's, um, you know, pursuits. And at this point, it's just uh, it's really being responsible in terms of how we best handle him as well, given his workloads over the last couple of years. But I expect nothing more and to, to, to see what Zach's done to this point to carry on here over the next, hopefully over the next eight to ten weeks. I'm interested about that leadership stuff you just talk, talked about with, uh, with Zach and with Jake Diekman, two guys who were not on the Rays last year. I mean, how integral have both of their presences been with this team? Extremely, just given their baseball experience, their life experience, the understanding of what the day in and day out of a major leaguer consists of uh, the ushering along of Kevin Kelly, who was for the most part in Double A Akron last year, also in a different organization, um, and just the way they go about their business. Right? I mean, um, they lead in multiple ways, but like the way they handle themselves, you know, their their availability to all teammates in the in the clubhouse. Um, you know, and a lot of the things that they do off the field when we go on the road, setting things up. You know, Zach Eflin set up on one of our evenings before an off day an opportunity for just about anybody and everybody that's a Rays employee to go to Top Golf here, you know, in, um, in St. Pete, and just a lot of team building things, right? And, 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 you know, you got a guy that's got seven years and the guy that's got 11 years that are willing to kind of pass along some of the things they've learned from other guys. Uh, it's been, it's just really made a tremendous impact in my opinion. Sometimes they bring a mariachi band to the table, don't they? Yeah, they did that yesterday for Yandi's birthday and it somehow turned into four hits for Yandi. I'm surprised that mariachi band's not back here today, but um, you can't say uh, from a cosmic standpoint that that didn't have some influence, I think, on just the overall uh, way the game unfolded yesterday. But like, they're, they're wonderful. Uh, they've been wonderful additions and, you know, a lot of fun to be around both of them. When I was down here for my audition with the Rays at the end of May, I, in- I interviewed you for a-, a podcast that I don't think ever aired, but I did put together, and I asked you about the 07 World Series team that you were on with the Boston Red Sox, and I asked you if there were any similarities that you saw between that team and this 2023 Tampa Bay Rays team. Can you t- talk about that and... Who were those leaders on the 07 team? We had quite a few veterans on that club. Um, you know, Kevin and I both spent parts. I, I was there the full season. Kevin spent parts of that year with us as well after Doug Mirabelli had gotten hurt. But, you know, you're talking about the likes of Jason Veritek. who at the time was our team captain. Um, you know, you had, you know, Josh Beckett. You had Mike Lowell. Um, you had, you know, Alex Cora is now the manager of the Boston Red Sox. Some of the similarities, I think, is just the belief and expectation to win between this club and that club. Obviously, I'm uh, I'm a staff member compared to being a player, but you still feel it the same way when you're in the clubhouse, when you walk in, when you're getting ready to play the game. Um, these guys come to play every day, and, and we expect to win every day, right, as a group. And, and it, you know, I think those are the things that stand out to me probably most. Um, and... You know, I, I feel like going forward, you know, I think it's going to serve us, you know, really, really well. And, and I think that, you know, the, the amount of success we've had up until this point in the season, despite the standings and what they are at the moment, 
you know, I think is really going to help kind of push us throughout, you know, a, a, a late run throughout September and playing meaningful games beyond that. Baseball is a long season. Was there a point during that 07 run with the Red Sox where you thought, hey, I think we got a shot to win the World Series? I would say that there was. I think we recognized that out the gates that we were one of the better teams, and I think we held that in terms of the overall record throughout baseball that season. And, you know, I think that part of that confidence that comes with playing really well and recognizing that you had the best record in the regular season, you know, does certainly, you know, help, you know, kind of push you through October and understanding that you're that good. And, you know, if it's a given the marathon length of a season, if you have the most successful record, there's nothing that should should take away from your confidence going into October, knowing that you're capable of being the best teams out there. And we do appreciate Kyle Snyder's time. Coming up, Rays special assistant Denard Spann. Stay with us. We're coming right back on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball with Denard Spann, special assistant to the Rays and Bally Sports Analyst. Denard, thanks for joining us. No problem, man. Glad, glad and happy to be here. So the Rays are kind of going through a tough spell again. They had a terrific nine-game road trip in which they won all three of their series in Houston, New York, and Detroit. Come back home. They played the St. Louis Cardinals. They win the first game, and it looks like it's probably going to be the same type of series. They lose the second one, but then they come up short in the third one. This is not the St. Louis Cardinals of old either. They have had a really rough season. Where do you think the Rays are right now? I think it's kind of hard to tell at the moment. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. They have uh, definitely been inconsistent. Um, like you said, you know, it seemed like they were getting back on the right track after the road trip. And then, you know, you, you, you have the St. Louis Cardinals coming in, into town. Like you said, they're not the same St. Louis Cardinals. Um, this is actually a team that, you know, you want to see on the schedule um, to get the Rays, you know, back going and, and, and can, to continue, you know, the streak that they were on. And, um, you know, to see them lose two out of three, that, that's definitely a tough pill for them to swallow. Um, you know, as the, the Baltimore Orioles, you know, they're, they're continuing to play really well. Um, but what I've just seen, you know, over the last, you know, couple months really is just the injuries have just continued to pile up. And, um, you know, when you're trying to, you know, piece together a team um, with, the, with the pitching staff and the bullpen because of the injuries to some of our starters, you know, you can only do that for so long. And uh, I just think that, once again, it's just starting to catch up um, with, with the ball club. I think they've done a good job, you know, weathering the storm, you know, with all of those injuries. So you got to give them credit, but they, you know, obviously have not played as good as they would like to. Um, and then, you know, with the offense, you know, the offense has, you know, kind of, you know, fizzled out, fizzled out a little bit in, in comparison to how it was earlier in the season. Um, so we just got to try to find a way to, you know, get both the offense and the pitching you know, um, together on, on the same days. You played in the big leagues for a long time and you played for a number of different teams, including the Rays. Tampa Bay has had a bunch of injuries to the pitching staff. As you alluded to, we don't have all the deals or all the details on Shane McClanahan's injury, but it yeah. appears that he is extremely unlikely to pitch again in 2023. Yeah. Tyler Glass now has had some injuries as well. And so now you're looking at a team that could potentially lose three or four of their five starters. So yeah. I'm curious. I know you played on the other side of the ball. You were a hitter, an outfielder. How much pressure do do these injuries put on the offense? 
Um, you, you, I don't like that word pressure. Um, you know, you try not to, you know, if I'm Kevin Cash and I'm in that clubhouse, I try not to use that word. If anything, you know, I'm trying to uplift my guys and trying to bring everybody together and, you know, realize that, you know, there's no way you can replace Shane McClanahan, Jeffrey Springs, Drew Rasmussen, and some of the other guys that have been hurt. But what we can do is come together as a team and root for one another and, you know, the, if 20, 25 guys come together, then you can replace those one or two guys that are hurt. Um, so I, I think more, more importantly, though, though, that's all you can really do. Um, and then now you have, you know, guys that are going to come up from AAA. You're talking about um, Zach Littell. He's done a good job. Um, Erasmo Ramirez. These are guys that are going to get opportunities. And these are guys that are hungry and have been waiting, you know, for an extended opportunity. So, um, you know, you just got to, you know, it's, it's the next man up mentality. And um, I think that's that's the best thing you can do, you know, under these circumstances right now. Randy Rosarena is a guy who was a huge part and still is a huge part of the Rays offense, but he had a tremendous first half. Then he goes to the home run derby and does well, makes it all the way to the final. But it seems like since that time, his numbers have dipped significantly and he doesn't look like quite the same player. Do you think yeah. there's any correlation to him participating in that home run derby that has led to the, the decrease in productivity at the plate? Definitely can't say. Um, that's always kind of been um, like a like a rumor that has always gone around or circled, you know, for guys that have gone and participated in that. It seems like the track record says that they come from that and they don't perform as well. Um, but for somebody that's never, you know, uh, you know, uh, participated in the home run derby, I can't say. Um, but, you know, he played so well during the first half that, um, once again, similar to the team, like, you, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to go through a rough, rough patch, regardless of a home run derby or not. It's tough to be consistent um, from April to September. Um, the only person, you know, that's really done that all year is Yandy Diaz, you know, who, who's been consistent from start to finish. Um, so hopefully, um, you know, he gets out of that funk. And, and I, I'm confident he will because I know the type of work that he puts in. Um, you know, I'm there in the, in the, in the clubhouse semi-regularly and I you know, see what he does. And then Chad Matola in the hitting department, um, I'm confident that they'll get him back on track. Um, but he is the last, I feel like, piece that we have to get going. Um, uh, Brandon Lowe's, he, he's gotten back going. Wander's gotten back going. Um, and, of course, Yandy, he's been doing Yandy all season long. Yeah, I think we need to talk about Yandy Diaz. What a season he is having so far. He seems to be aging like a fine wine at the moment. Yeah. He just keeps getting better with age. He had a four-hit game on his birthday. Who knows if that had anything to do with the mariachi band that was following him around, <laughs> thanks to Jake Diekman. But, but what have you seen from Yandy Diaz this season? He seems like he is playing at the very top of his game. He is. I, I, I know he made some adjustments coming into the season uh, with his swing and attacking the ball more out in front. Um, he's always been a guy that, you know, allowed the ball to get a little bit deeper. He hit for more average. And I know over the last couple of years, the hitting department has, you know, tried to, you know, get him to take more chances because he is, you know, such a strong and, 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 and large human being. He has a lot, a lot more power. And we've seen him tap into that. And what I've been impressed with um, – to be honest with you, there was a, there was a, a part in the season where, you know, he, he you know, kind of started to struggle. But instead of, you know, uh, you know, plummeting, he what he did was, you know, he reverted back to what he did uh, his, his past couple years as far as hitting for average 
And then, you know, since then he's come back and the power stroke is, is right back. And he's kind of an atypical leadoff hitter. And you were a leadoff hitter for yeah. a large part of your career. I guess it works though, right? I mean, he's got some pop. He gets on base. He's one of the yeah. league leaders in, in batting average. He doesn't really steal bases though. I guess that's no. the only knock against him as a leadoff hitter, but maybe that yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, the, the game is, is totally different um, than what it was when I was playing in, in, in the generation before. Um, but, yeah, that's the only knock you can say on him um, is that he does not steal bases. But other than that, you know, he has good at bats. He gets has a high on base percentage. He gets on base at a high clip. And that's what you want, you know, from a leadoff hitter, a guy that is going to, you know, be consistent, which he's been doing, and, you know, getting, you know, getting the lineup going, getting the party started. And, um, you know, he does it with the best of them. Now, you are a local guy. You grew up in, in Tampa, and you attended Tampa Catholic High School. You grew up going to Devil Rays games. Before we yeah. get to your high school career real quick, what was your favorite memory of going to those Devil Rays games as a kid? I got to be honest, I was not a Devil Rays fan, you know, but <laughs> I did go to a few games. Um, because you got to look at it, you know, the, the, the Devil Rays came to Tampa when I was in eighth grade, you know, I was 14 years old. So by that time, you know, I, I was already a baseball fan and I fell in love with the next closest team to Florida, which was the Atlanta Braves. Um, but, you know, one of my fondest memories of going to Tropicana as a teenager was going to see my favorite baseball player, the Rays, playing against the Seattle Mariners um, and seeing Ken Griffey Jr. And that was a that was a treat for me. You know, watching him, um, you know, just in the on-deck circle, taking his practice swings. And uh, I don't believe he had a, an exceptional game, but it still was just an unbelievable um, dream come true to just see King Griffey live in person. Because before that, you know, before um, the double race came, I, I would have not gotten that opportunity. And, of course, you got to play for both of those teams eventually, Tampa Bay yeah, yeah, yeah. and Seattle. You went to Tampa Catholic High School, though. You won a state championship as a junior, and then you were drafted 20th overall by the Twins. Talk to us about that state championship team. What do you remember yeah. about that? And what was it like when you were drafted that high? Yeah. So, okay, yeah. So fast forward to, you know, that was my, that was my junior year in high school. Now, the first half of my junior year, I was at Hillsborough High School. Um, some people, you know, a, a decent amount of people know that, but I, I, I was – at that time, football was my number one sport and baseball was secondary. And so I transferred to Tampa Catholic because of football. You know, I wanted to play division one football, football season had just ended. I knew uh, my junior year, I, you know, I wasn't happy with how things went. So I said, you know what, I'm a transfer um, over to Tampa Catholic. And as soon as I got there, it was baseball season. And, you know, when I tell you, you know, we had a, a pretty decent team. We were not, you know, favorites to win the state championship. Uh, we, we got into the district playoffs and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, a, a light switch went off amongst me and my teammates and we got hot. And next thing you know, you know, we're at Legends Field right here on Del Mabry, um, jumping up, you know, in the middle of the field because we, you know, we won the state championship. And uh, when I tell you that was the most pivotal, important decision of my baseball career, making that jump to Tampa Catholic, it was because once again, we I won the state championship. And, I, you know, I played really well, and that set the stage um, for that summer, you know, for me to get invited to a bunch of tournaments and showcases. And, um, you know, I took the momentum from, you know, the momentum and the confidence I had from, um, you know, winning the state championship, took it to all of those tournaments during the summer, 
And uh, when I came home, when that summer was over with, I had basically, you know, set the stage for me to get drafted in the first round the following year. So, um, you know, just was a, you know, a, a, a whirlwind. It was, you know, felt like it was, things were moving fast, um, but it was the time of my life. Was it hard for you to give up football? Because everything I've read about you says that you were a pretty elite wide receiver. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, do, do you ever think back and, and wonder what if, what if I had gone on and played college football? Yeah, I definitely, definitely uh, would think about that. But, you know, I think, I think once that summer was over with uh, after my junior year and it was evident to me that my calling was to play baseball as much as I love playing football. Um, and if I would not have gotten drafted high and, and decided to go to college out of high school, I, I would have, you know, legitimately tried to play football. I loved it that much, but um, you know, once I got drafted in the first round, that was a sign to me. It was like, all right, this is my calling. And then I started, you know, looking at all the factors and variables of the, you know, the careers and the longevity of, of baseball, the, the guaranteed contracts. And, and, you know, I had a couple friends that played in the NFL and football, you know, they played until they, they, they were done at 27, 28 years old. And so, you know, for, for most, uh, most <clears throat> baseball players, that's when you're beginning your prime. And so um, I definitely thought about it, but, you know, no regrets whatsoever. And did you grow up a Buccaneers fan? Oh man, I'm a, I'm a terrible Tampa fan. Let's just say that. <laughs> I mean, the Bucks were hard to root for back in the, in the, in the nineties, man. Those, you know, they were going like two and 15 every, every year, man. So no, I was not, I was a, I was a Cowboys. I, put this way, I've, I've always been more, I root for players. I have, you know, whatever my favorite player Whatever team he's on, that's the team I root for. So I was always like a Jerry Rice and the Deion Sanders fan. So, you know, the, the you know, 49ers and Dallas Cowboys were like my two favorite teams growing up. But now I'm, Tampa a Bay. now I'm a Bucks fan. Now. Right. Well, that's good to hear. I think they're bringing back the creamsicle uniforms this year for you. Oh, Just for man. you, Denard. Oh, man. <laughs> I cringe when I see those. That brings back too many bad memories, man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Well, last question for you. We know that you play for the Twins, the Nationals, the Giants. Uh, finally, in 2018, though, you came home and you were wow. a Ray. How awesome was that when when you suited up for the first time as a Tampa Bay Ray? Yeah, it, it was definitely a dream come true. Um, it was something that, like, you know, as my career, you know, went along early on, it's something that, like, crossed my mind of how, you know, awesome it would be to get an opportunity to play for my hometown. Um, but I always just d dismissed it. I was like, you know, the, the, the chances of that actually happening is very slim. Um, and so, but when it actually did happen, it once again was a dream come true to have my mom and my family, you know, get an opportunity to, to watch me play my high school teammates and coaches. Um, even I remember that year I was, I had, I, I had an opportunity to see my nephew graduate from high school and, and it could, because it fell on a day off. You know, um, while we were home, and so uh, it just was. You know, it was short lived. I was only here for two months, but uh, it was it was the time of my life, man. I wish I could have you know got an opportunity to to play a lot longer than those two months here. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time with us today, Denard, and we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome, man. I appreciate any time. And we'll go to another break, but when we return, Charleston River Dog skipper Sean Smedley joins the program to discuss the Rays' low-A affiliates 2023 campaign, his first year managing, Bill Murray, and a whole lot more. That's all on the other side of this break on the Rays Baseball Network. 
All right, we continue on this week in Rays baseball with the manager of the Charleston River Dogs, Mr. Sean Smedley. Sean, it's good to see you again. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here and uh, talk a little Charleston River Dogs baseball. Yeah, let's talk about the team in the Holy City. You guys had a really tough first half, but it seems like things have really started to turn around in the second half. You spent a good amount of time in first place there. What were the major differences between the first half and the second half? It's a lot of just the young kids getting better. Um, you know, we've we've started shrinking down our strike zones at the plate, and it's starting to pay off. We're striking out less, and we're hitting balls harder. And when you tend to do that, you have more success. And um, pitching's been a lot better for us too. I mean, uh, Yoni Elkiret took off. He's no longer with us. He's in Bowling Green, but um, you know, these guys have come out each day and given us a chance to win a ball game, and that's all we can ask. And what has the season been like for you personally? I know that this is your first ever season as a manager in the Rays organization. Um, you know, at the beginning, it was a little, it was tough. It was, you know, getting used to the daily um, aspects of things of being a manager and making sure everything works schedule wise for staff members, for players. And um, but now that, you know, we've kind of gotten the swing of things and these guys are starting to uh, understand what they expect from me and, um, it's just been a, it's been a really easy transition, especially going from second half. Let's talk about some of the prospects that you've had in Charleston this year, beginning with Xavier Isaac, a big left-hand hitter. I've seen some highlights this year. That guy can hit it a long way. What have you liked about Xavier Isaac this season, and, and how is he progressing at the low-A level? Uh, I'm really excited about uh, Xavier. He's He's really – advanced for a 19 year old at the plate um, his plate discipline is really really good and it's exciting to watch him hit because he, he just doesn't chase um, he doesn't put himself in bad counts so when he does get pitches to hit he tends to hit them really really hard and it, it's it's exciting to see the progression that he just keeps getting better each week and I think you know he's he's only going to get better and that that's the most exciting part because he's seeing a ton of breaking balls and Pitchers are trying to pitch around him almost, and he still, when he gets a pitch to hit, he drives it. And what about Chandler Simpson? I know that you guys just lost him. He was promoted up to high A bowling green, but this kid has 80-plus stolen bases. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, it's, it's you know, the, stand, the standard that, you know, we talked about when we talked about with him was, you know, stealing 100 bases shouldn't should be easy but it's stealing hundred bases and being efficient. And he's done that. And it's exciting to watch him be efficient, stealing those bases, but he doesn't strike out. He puts the ball in play and he gives him a chance to get a hit every time. I mean, seeing him hit a ground ball to second base and beat it. It's, it's impressive. It's impressive speed. I remember when I was in double a with the Montgomery biscuits and I used to hear stories about when Billy Hamilton was in double a and that whenever he got to first, no matter who you were in the park, you dropped everything you were doing and you just watched him because you knew that he was going to steal second. Is that kind of how it's been for Chandler Simpson? A hundred percent. I mean, it, it was almost expected that at some point he was going to run. Um, you know, teams did the best they could to try to, you know, keep him at bay and keep him from going, but he would still find a way to time up the pitcher and, you know, be efficient and, it's, it's been really special to watch. You turn singles into doubles and triples, and it only helps offenses. Let's talk about Ian Seymour, a guy who is coming back from Tommy John's surgery. You had him with the Montgomery Biscuits last year for a, a brief spell, and then he was shut down, and then 
underwent Tommy John surgery, but he's on his way back and he's now pitching with Charleston, I guess, rehabbing. What have you liked about Ian Seymour? He's a terrific guy. We know that, but how's the pitching looking and does he look healthy to you? Yeah, he does look healthy. Um, it's, it's not an easy thing to come back from an injury like he had. So the stuff, the stuff will continue to tick up in my opinion. Um, but you know, he's a constant professional and that's something that a lot of guys here in low A don't get to see as a guy that has double A and triple A experience and to see how he goes about his business each day. So it's really nice as a manager, as a pitching coach, as anybody, as a staff member to have a guy like that here that these young guys can look at and be like, okay, this is, this is what it takes. This is what it looks like. And how about the rest of Charleston's pitching staff? How's that looking so far? Oh, it's been great, man. Um, I'm really excited the way, you know, these guys have thrown the baseball from, um, you know, Trevor Martin to Yoniel Curette, Johnny Cuevas. Um, you know, we got some really good bullpen arms and Drew Summers and uh, Junior William. And these guys have all just stepped up, pitched well, um, been in the strike zone. And, and that's the biggest thing at this level is being in the strike zone. So when they're in the strike zone and they're landing their off-speed pitches, it's fun to watch them pitch. Now, we mentioned at the top of this interview that this is your first year as a manager in the Rays organization. So tell us about how that went down. Where were you? How did you find out? And how excited were you? I was actually up in St. Pete. Um, I was uh, with my uh, parents up in St. Pete because of the hurricane. So we were up there with my with my wife and my daughter, and um, it was it was a really cool experience to get that phone call. And um, you know, I was supposed to manage in 2020 before we cut down the minor leagues, but to get that phone call again was really exciting, and I was ready to take on the challenge. And you played for the Rays organization for a couple of years. You signed with Tampa Bay as a minor league free agent back in June of 2013, and then you played for the Gulf Coast League Rays. You played a few games for Bowling Green as well back when they were the low-A affiliate of the Rays. What do you remember about your time playing for the Hot Rods and the rest of the Rays organization? Um, I just remember the people, man. I remember my teammates. I remember, um, you know, my coaches. Um, you know, a lot of those coaches that were my coaches are either in the big leagues right now with us or, um, you know, like MJ was my manager in Bowling Green. He's our AAA manager in Durham. Um, but it was creating those relationships that I loved, um, you know, and I, I understood what I signed up for when I signed as a undrafted free agent catcher. And, you know, I took my opportunities and tried to do the best I could to learn this game. And, um, you know, being around 10 years now, it's seemed to work out for me. Yeah, and you played college baseball at Texas A&M International, which is way down south in Laredo, Texas, right on the Mexican border. What was that experience like? And how did the opportunity come about to sign with the Rays in the first place? Um, so to get down there, I played one year junior college and then I went down to Texas A&M International. And, um, you know, I went for the opportunity to play every day and that's what I wanted to do. And it was a different experience. I was um, probably one of three redheads on campus. So that was a, a, di a different aspect to life. But, you know, it made me grow as a person and be in a different environment. So it, it was fun. I, I love my teammates down there. And um, my coaches down in college were awesome and, you know, treated, with, treated players with respect. And that's kind of the way I, you know, want to treat players now. And um, it, was, it was a great experience. And what about signing with the Rays? How did that all go down? Because you did sign as an undrafted minor league free agent. Um, yeah, I was uh, 
I was looking to keep playing or, you know, go back to college and, you know, get into coaching somehow because I wanted to stay in the game because I love the game of baseball. And um, I got a phone call one night and it was funny. I was watching the Yankees Rays game on ESPN and I got a phone call from um, RJ Harrison saying, hey, we want to sign you as an undrafted free agent. And I was like, yeah, where, where do I sign? Get me down there. I'm ready. Let's go. Um, and it was it was an exciting day for me. You've been a part of a, a few coaching staffs now, including last season. You were under Morgan Ensberg and Double A Montgomery, and before that, you were under Blake Butera, who's now one of the field coordinators for for the Rays. What did you learn from those two guys over the last handful of years? A lot of things, man. Um, you know, they're they're two they're two guys that are a little different the way they do things, but also at the same time. It's about caring about the players and the day-to-day, trying to get each guy better. And those guys both do it extremely well. Um, I think if you care about your players, um, that's when you get the most out of them. And that's how they get better and get to the next level. And Mo and Blake both do an excellent job of that, um, putting putting things in the right place to have success and have let these players have success and get to, get to their ultimate goal of being a Major League Baseball player. And you know, we've seen guys that Mo's had and they're already in the big leagues and guys that Blake had here in 21 and with the River Dogs are already in the big leagues. So it's fun to see that transition. And those guys just do a really good job of keeping everybody together and, you know, keeping everything going. One of those players that you've worked with for over a couple of years now is Curtis Mead, who is now in the big leagues with the Tampa Bay Rays. How pumped are you for Curtis? We know his family flew all the way up from Australia to see him play. It's a big deal for him, obviously, but he's a very special talent, isn't he? Yes, he is. Um, Kurt, Curtis Curtis is a very hardworking player. Um, I, I just remember the day-to-day. He wanted more. He always wanted more, whether it was – you know, I need to get better at being a defensive third baseman to play in the big leagues, or I need to be a better base runner to steal a couple bags here and there and learn these things. And that was what was special about Curtis. He always had the hit tool. Um, since day one, when I saw him, he could always hit, but it was the little things that he wanted to get better at. So when he got to the major league level, he could do it. And that was what was special about Curtis. Well, you're managing a young team in Charleston, but you're also managing a young family. You became a dad in the middle of last season. I was there when you took some time off in, in Montgomery. What's it been like being a father? Uh, it's exciting, man. She's uh, Hazley's doing great. She's walking. She's, you know, starting. She's got, you know, her five or six words and she uses them to the best of her ability. Um, but um, my wife has been, you know, awesome. She's she's amazing taking care of things and really being you know, that piece that holds everybody together, especially with me being away so much. So it's been fun. It's a great transition. I'm just excited to watch her grow and get, you know, turned into a young lady and it'll be fun. And last question before I get you out of here, Sean, have you met Bill Murray yet during your time down there in Charleston, South Carolina? Yes, I have. Um, Early in the season, we actually played a round of golf together. So that was that was pretty fun, man. A couple of Caddyshack, uh, you know, quote drops while I'm trying to putt. You know, it made it difficult, but it was fun playing golf with him. And I've, I've seen him a couple of times around the stadium. He's come to the dugout once or twice just to meet the guys and stuff like that. So it's fun having him around because everybody knows who he is. I just lost so- my lights in here. Hold on one second. <laughs> 
Gotta love, gotta love minor league baseball. Gotta, uh, gotta love it. Lights just so, go out on you. <laughs> so, what is your favorite Bill Murray movie? Is, is it fair to say that it's probably Caddyshack? Uh, Caddyshack is definitely up there. Um, I kind of like Groundhog Day as mm-hmm. well. Um, always a good one. And then just his little cameos here and there in certain movies always make me laugh. You know, he's just he's just a good name drop pop in on any type of movie. So, well, I could think of uh, a lot a lot places that are that are worse to manage in than Charleston, South Carolina. Sean Smedley. So we really appreciate you taking the time. Best of luck the rest of the season to the River Dogs, and we'll talk to you again down the line. Perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. And we certainly appreciate Sean Smedley's time on This Week in Race Baseball for updating us from Charleston. You can catch that interview in its entirety on Spotify or Apple Podcasts this coming week. And we also want to thank our other guests on the show today, including Rays right-hander Aaron Savali for sharing his thoughts on his trade from Cleveland and growing up in New England, as well as Rays pitching coach Kyle Snyder for discussing the ever-fluctuating Tampa Bay pitching staff. We also want to thank Ray's special assistant and Bally Sports TV analyst Denard Spann for taking the time to talk about his high school career in the Tampa Bay area. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so fairly easily at Chris Adams Wall and at Ray's Radio. Special thanks to Derek DeBose back at our network studios, plus assistance from Andy Freed and Neil Solons, as well as Chris Miller, Becca Carney, Parker Welch, and Alex Fuse. I'm Chris Adams-Wall. We're getting set for the Rays and the Cleveland Guardians, the series finale, and the Rays going for a sweep here at Tropicana Field, and who knows, we'll see if the Rays can Walk off the Guardians in not one, not two, but three straight games. They had a walk-off from Wander Franco on Friday night, a home run, a walk-off RBI single from Randy Arozarena yesterday on Saturday night. And tonight, or this afternoon rather, we'll see if the Rays can do it again. Zach Eflin will be on the hill for the Rays against Tanner Bybee as Tampa Bay goes for another series victory. Well, they've, they already have it, actually, but they'll go for another homestand victory, we should say, and they can do it with a win here today. We'll see you next week. The Rays pregame show is next. Enjoy the game, everybody. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, into right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front 4-1. to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.